The following is a quarantine recording presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we're loving on, what we're hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, whatever happened to those pink pussy hats, we cover it all. We are recording from Oakland, California, the center of the known universe, where we are dealing with Rona and rebellion. It's a challenging time, a changing time, a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we are going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99, because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. Our guest this week, I am so excited, is the official president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Federation of America and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. She's a renowned social justice leader, a lifelong political organizer, and a tireless advocate for reproductive rights and access to quality, affordable health care. Hallelujah. She's also the founder of The Culture Group, and she's a frequent commentator on CNN and MSNBC. You better work. I am so grateful that I get to talk with her right now. She's a complete badass and someone who I am honored to call a friend. Welcome, 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 welcome. Hey, girl, hey, to hey, Alexis McGill-Johnson. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I had to jump in. Hey, girl, I'm so excited. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> it's so fun. I'm so excited to have you. We got to just jump in. So I got to know. I ask everybody, as you know, what your quarantine life has been like. And tell the people who are listening, are you developing any unique habits live and direct from Miss Rona? I mean, Miss Rona is a lot. That's all I can say. (laughs) Miss Rona is a lot. 2020 is a lot. Um, And, you know, almost as, as quickly as we started sheltering in place, as quickly as we started converting to like Zoom school, because, you know, my girls are like, you know, eight and 11. And so we were like learning fifth grade math and all kinds of shit. I was learning how to cook, mm. cook three squares a day. Lord. <laughs> it's just it's just the routine, right, of trying to like get it all organized. And then just the relentless like beat down of executive orders coming for people who are seeking abortion in in states who weren't even taking corona seriously. And so like my corona exhaustion is totally on a whole nother level. But what I found was that my Saturdays, because like 
Monday through Friday was like Zoom school meals, you know, whatever. Like when I got to Saturday, it was my cleaning day. It was my day where I could just get everything reorganized for the house. I could do all the work. My amazing, amazing, should be paid twice as much housekeeper does every day to like uh-huh. get every, I mean, like seriously, my level of appreciation of of all the work that you've done at Domestic Workers Alliance. Like it's just like just getting life in order. Yep was just so centering for me. It was like, like I just would start at eight o'clock in the morning. I would actually put on podcasts. I know you said I was never a podcast person either, but podcasts is actually what helped me stay current through the week Mm. and just get myself organized. And so um, that's actually how I discovered you had a podcast because you didn't tell a bitch. Um, (laughs) 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 It was just a level of satisfaction (laughs) and gratification of of like, you know, like it was actually a level of control. And I feel like I found control in in the pandemic in a way of like uh, that I couldn't before. Yep. I understand. Trust me. I mean, Quarantine ain't been no joke, and Miss Rona is playing no games with the people now. She is playing no games. None. And you said fifth grade math, and I started to like sweat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so <laughs> it's like dividing Bless fractions you it's for your service. Yes. <laughs> Bless you for your service. And also, bless the teacher's child, because woo. It's a lot. <laughs> Any guilty pleasures uh, that Miss Rona is giving you? I mean, I know she's been serving us quarantine realness, but um, on the other side of that, is there anything that, you know, you're really just indulging in now that we're on quarantine and stay-at-home orders? You know, actually, fiction. Mm. I, like, fiction shouldn't be a guilty pleasure. I, like, I've, I've always been a lifelong reader, but I've always just read so much nonfiction mm-hmm. and even in, I think in the podcast, I started to discover audiobooks. I discovered LeVar Burton Reads. I discovered all these ways in which to like absorb fiction that, that just allowed me to settle and transport my brain into other places mm. that I really never really took advantage of. So yeah, fiction, I would say, is actually a, a, a new ple- an old pleasure and a new pleasure. Oh my God, I love that. Okay, so what's on your fiction list this week? Oh my goodness. Um I just finished like a beach read called Fleischman is in Trouble, which was so it's just a it's a relationship gone wrong in all the ways that you understand why at the end. Um, That was very good. And then Octavia Butler. Ooh, she's really helping me connect my double consciousness in a way I hadn't I hadn't thought. Oh, you better come through with this double consciousness. I heard you drop a little uh, Du Bois in the mix. I see you. I see you. So speaking of Octavia Butler, we are certainly in a dystopian future. And I am actually reading right now. Um, I'm feeling you on the fiction tip because I, too, am a consumer of nonfiction. But I've I've made the switch because I need to escape. And lately, all of my favorite reality shows are now having new conversations about racism, which is not why I watch reality <laughs> shows. So to find refuge somewhere else. And um, the book I'm reading right now is called Who Fears Death? And I highly, highly recommend it. Wow. It's very Octavia Butler, but not so much that you're like, wait, what's happening? You know, it's just, it's excellent. I just got to say, I've been waiting to say this. Just last week, it was announced that you are officially, finally, at last, (laughs) 
the HBIC of Planned Parenthood in all its forms. The Federation, the Action Fund, all the damn things. Can I just ask you, has Planned Parenthood ever had a black woman at the helm? I mean, this is really historic. It, it is historic. Tell I'm, the people why that matters. I am the second black woman. Remember our legendary Faye Waddleton, who is quite frankly legendary because okay. she, you know, she was Planned Parenthood head when they were literally bombing Planned Parenthoods and setting uh, centers on like fire, literally. Um, oh. So she's absolutely, if you don't know Faye, you need to, you need to know about her. But still, I'm the second black president in 104 years. Mm. So we can let that sit for a second, right? And it does feel historic in a, in a different way, right? Because it feels like, for me, as someone who's been involved in the organization for almost 10 years as a, as a former board member, to like go to the other side of the table, be a staff leader, and really bring all of the work that I had been doing, right? The civic engagement work, the race equity work, the... Um, gender work, the intersectionality conversations that I brought into the organization as a board leader. Um, it just feels like a moment of all of my opportunity to contribute coming to bear at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it also comes at a moment where, I don't know about you, but I think in this set of moments, I'm just feeling particularly liberatory. Mm. Like I'm feeling particularly unapologetic. And you know, I've always felt a level of freedom like that I knew was there. But to lead as a free Black woman mm-hmm. just feels like a different moment. And, you know, again, Faye mm-hmm. was free 100%, but it just feels like we're in a moment where we can actually exercise our freedoms in ways that are different. And so I am... You know, I look at all, particularly all my brown faces in the in the office, and and I love all of them. They're amazing people because you don't come to Planned Parenthood on accident. But to be able to really represent what it means to be a leader who trusts their authentic self and their gut and what they want to deliver and do and be held accountable for, it just feels like like I just I feel good. I feel really really good, and I feel really really ready. You better. You better. (laughs) Yes, Alexis, I want you to know you have a whole army cheering for you at your back, at your front, at your sides, and I hope you feel it. Um, Also, I know you're not going to say this, but I'm going to say it because (laughs) I feel like I need to. Look, I started organizing at a very young age, and it was all around reproductive justice and reproductive health. And Planned Parenthood was one of the first kind of institutions that I became involved in as a college student. And I can say this as somebody who has been kind of in the mix and in the trajectory of this organization for a long time, leadership matters. And you are somebody who I know deeply believes in organizing and in the power of people, but also in the power of stories that really reflect the richness of who we are and that kind of counter some of the stories that have been told to us about us that we sometimes absorb. Mm -hmm. This is very different, actually, from relying on, say, facts or figures and not real people. And I I just want to take this moment to just say because I can, because it's my motherfucking podcast. I'm going to say it. Um, Having you in the helm, Alexis, is a helpful reminder to all of us in this movement that, you know, 
It's really hard to take an approach of trying to make your oppressor like you, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They don't call it a fight for nothing, child. When we struggle, it is absolutely a struggle for control of ideas. Mm -hmm. It is a struggle for hearts and minds. And that is what shifting power is all about. And I know that you know this. And so to know that you are at the helm of one of the largest, if not the largest, um, healthcare organizations that serve and defend women's right to have access to health care. It is so important to have that kind of vision and orientation and approach at the helm of said organization. So hallelujah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for being in the mix. <laughs> So listen, Alexis, I'm a big fan of poking under the hood, as they say, especially with women who I know are bosses and are having to figure out how to lead in a really turbulent time. Essentially, you came up in this piece like Olivia Pope talking about (laughs) is handled, right? (laughs) You make it look easy, but I know it's not easy, child. So I'm hoping you can just Shed some light for our listeners. Like, what kind of tips do you have for leading and staying engaged during crisis? Oh, my goodness. You know, I think staying a student is really important. Mm. I I just think that, like, I'm, as I said earlier, like, I'm really guided by this idea of what it means to have a real theory of change and what it means to, like, challenge yourself and test assumptions you know, personally, as an organization, like throughout your work, so you know that you're actually making a contribution, that this isn't, I'm going to say like, there's a difference between ambition and contribution, I guess is probably how I might say it. Mm -hmm. And that theory of change is really important. And you can only really test those things unless you are truly listening, Mm -hmm. listening to your teams, listening to the patients, right? Listening to the experience and, and understanding that, you know, what gives Planned Parenthood standing to join in certain conversations and where do we need to not, right? I think that's like one of those things that I think I've been grappling with a lot that, you know, reproductive rights is obviously critically important to so many other issues that we care about. And yet it's really important for us as a leader to make sure that we are standing appropriately and supporting in ways that all of the ways in which we we might um, our other organizations and you know we sit inside of several ecosystems and how we actually interrogate our own power what gives us authentic power and how we use that power I think has been something that I've I've just been really focused on over this year and I think in the middle of the pandemic even more so because we know. We have limited resources, we have limited time and probably limited like activity engagement to execute on one of the biggest organizing strategies of our lifetime. And so it really means we have to be disciplined and egoless and, you know, focused in a different way. And it's just, it, it's hard when you're an organization that for so long has had not spotlight it wanted um, <laughs> necessarily, mm-hmm. but still at the same time has it and, and how we think challenging us to like think differently about that I think is really important. You're such a boss, Alexis. I feel personally like I'm in a bad version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So (laughs) I know you've done a lot of work around elections, 
electoral organizing and power building, especially when it comes to Black communities and when it comes to communities that have been kind of left out and left behind. You know as well as I do, there's a lot at stake in this upcoming election, and I want to hear your perspective um, from your vantage point, having been an activist for and an organizer and a social change agent for a very long time. <sighs> Girl, we all know there's an election coming up, and we all trying to reconcile, I think, what folk know we need to do with how we feel about what we got to do. So can you give us your perspective on that and maybe some advice for how to um, navigate this <laughs> political landscape? How do we get to November, girl? That's the main question. How do we get, do we get to November? <laughs> we need to put our masks on and vote is how we get to November. Um, <laughs> you better. <laughs> right? Don't let nobody tell you you don't need no masks. Don't let them tell you about any of that. It is, it is so... Um, mm-hmm. Look, I... Let me just go back for one second because I think that your your points around understanding data and then also understanding narrative, I think are so critical, right? And I think that's like the lens that I ultimately bring into this conversation, which is as a, as a researcher, like a theory of change is really important to me. I love data. I love evidence. I love to test our assumptions, you know, and making sure we're letting the data lead. But I also think that movements are equations, and that we have to think about kind of what are we solving for in this particular moment. And sometimes the elections are that moment that help us, you know, figure out what those variables are. I'm sorry, my fifth grade math <laughs> coming into play. <laughs> but it is like one of those moments where we have to think through, you know, that we we can't conflate like our values with the choices, you know, that we have. We have to actually say... Here we are in a moment where it is so critical that we have a progressive White House. We have a a White House that will focus on sexual reproductive health as well as racial justice, as well as um, immigrant justice, as well as climate justice. Like all of these things are being denied to us and that we also have a Senate we need to flip and a a House we need to hold. Mm -hmm. And so the, the work that we have to do is to ensure that we actually build the numbers there and understand that if we are able to do that, it is only because young people, people of color, black people, women, gender, non-binary, non-forming, all of us showed up in ways that built a collective power to make the difference and that we get to claim that power on the other side. That's right. And that's what I've seen over the last 10 years. Like just the, the wokest, most inclusive generation that is just bringing it. And I think, quite frankly, unapologetic. That's giving us permission to be unapologetic mm-hmm. and claiming that power. And that's, that's right. the only way we actually execute. That's right. You better come on because, look, I want to be super clear. We do have to put our mask on and vote. That's facts. And I often feel like we get in conversations during election cycles where we tell people, look, go out, do what you know you got to do. And we'll get around to what we really want the next time. You're not saying that, but that's what people say. In fact, I just had a conversation with somebody last week where they were like, young people need to understand, first you get the win and then you figure out how you shape them. And I'm like, well, I guess I kind of get that, but we've been telling Black people that forever. And (laughs) um, we're now finally at this apex, right, that reminds me very much of you know, 1965, where um, for the first time, right, Black people in mass kind of left the Republican Party and began to vote Democrat. 
not because we were invested in either of these parties, but because there was actually a candidate who stepped forward and took a very bold stance on racial justice. We could talk about all the complications of who that candidate was and whether or not they actually lived up to that. But the fact of the matter is Black folks gave our vote in exchange, mm-hmm. right, yep. for something. Yep. Um, here we are in 2020, the Lord's year of 2020, and you know we're hearing <laughs> the same platitudes. Of, Just go ahead and vote and then deal with making him better later. And I'm like, can't we do both at the same time? Girl, tell me we can. Can't we? <laughs> I feel like we can. No, I think we can. I think we just have to understand the different timelines, right? And I think that's why I say, like, what are we solving for in this moment? And what are we solving for for the broader movement? Mm. Because I, when I joined Planned Parenthood, and this is like, you know, obviously I've been in, involved in different organizations um, and movements for, for a minute, but particularly in, on the issue of reproductive rights, 2010 was such a critical year mm-hmm. around, you know, the, seeing the house flip, seeing that census, right, which we know we better all be filling out, transform the way uh, not just our Congress look, but also our state legislatures. And then you see how the landscape begins to affect us across the board. And I've been saying that, you know, for me, that that Tea Party Congress that came in in 2010 has set us on this pathway because you had a vocal minority of people who didn't believe in bodily autonomy, people who supported Stand Your Ground, people who were really involved in some voter suppression. That vocal minority was controlling the levers of power. Mm -hmm. And so every election since then has been about trying to restore that balance so that our voices like that people power actually really controls the levers of power. And so that has to be a long game. And so I see 2020 actually as halftime. I see it as I hope to God pray the Lord year 2020 that we actually are able to deliver because it is so critical for literally existentially. But at the same time, I also know that the amount of damage that has been done in just the last three years on issues that we care about, the way the federal judiciary has just been completely remade, 200 conservative judges that have been appointed. I mean, and on the issue of repro, I mean, we have judges who like, not only do they not support access to abortion, they also don't believe in in vitro or fertilization. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's so extreme that it's going to take us to 2030 to really realize the investments that we've been making. And so I do think that the timeline is different and that part of what we need to do as organizers is actually kind of draw that narrative, you know, draw that like, I've been to the mountaintop, we may not get there with you, but this is the work we still have to keep doing. Like, that's the thing that I think gets hard in the moment because we're trying to actually justify immediate calculations. I want our people to know who are listening that, There's a lot of work to be done to organize our folks around the things that we are longing for and to let that longing drive our participation, knowing that only our engagement can help us reshape the landscape. And what we know for facts coming out of 2016 is that when we stay home, it's not like our opposition stays home. (laughs) They get busy and they take up the space that we leave. So it's almost like cooking a meal and then walking away from it and letting somebody else come and eat your meal. And we don't do that around these parts. So (laughs) go get your food is basically what I'm trying to say here. 
I want to talk about this moment. Um, We are in the midst of, as we said, Rona and rebellion. And certainly we're in another um, uptick of a Black Lives Matter movement that has certainly been in full swing since at least 2013. But ultimately, we are a larger extension of a very long Mm -hmm. Black liberation movement Mm -hmm. um, that many, many, many hands have helped to shape and guide Tell me about what it means to be leading this institution at this very moment, Alexis. Like, what are Black folks dealing with in relationship to reproductive justice and healthcare? And what's at stake in November in, in relationship to that? Yeah, I mean, look, absolutely. I think, look, you just take corona and you see the impact on healthcare disparity across the, the nation, right? I mean, it just was like has laid bare historic and institutional inequities around this public health disaster. And I I do situate Planned Parenthood as a critical part of public health infrastructure, right? I think that, you know, the access that we provide to family planning, um, access to abortion, you know, it sits largely with folks who are low income, who are largely Black, largely Latinx. And that just means that, you know, when we center our patients in the conversation, that this you know, thinking about kind of how the pandemic is impacting us broadly um, becomes important. We've also seen just an outrageous number of attacks, particularly accessing abortion during the pandemic, right? We've had governors in states, like I think six or seven states, who enacted executive orders banning, basically saying abortion was uh, non-essential care, Uh uh, elective care. So that, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, if you needed access to an abortion and you were in a state like Texas, you had to get in a car and defy all sheltering in place orders, maybe put your family members, your elderly parent, your children, drive 16 hours to Colorado to get access to medication abortion, and then turn around and come back home because you were likely also to be an essential worker because we know that women of color were largely working on healthcare forces or had been deemed essential. So the irony of your body has literally been declared essential and yet your access to healthcare is also being controlled as non-essential, mm. I just think is what we need to be thinking about as we roll up in these um, kind of election streets. Because it's so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just the the, the irony of I that. And the, and the ways in which the structures... And again, we just came off a huge Supreme Court decision that struck down uh, a really important restriction that would have limited access to abortion in Louisiana and potentially across the country around doctors admitting privileges. But we also know that there are 15 other cases winding their way up through the courts, like literally a case away from being heard at the Supreme Court again. And so elections matter. Mm. They also matter in how they shape the courts. They also matter in the way these courts and our, you know, everyone from our locals to our federal representatives are determining what's at stake for us. And so I just, I, right. I hear you. I hear you on all these other points, on, on the points around, like, it, it's a legitimate option to stay home. And I agree with that on almost every, every issue, except today. <laughs> I mean, on, except for this one. Except yes. for this one. Well, you know, we spend a lot of time on this pod in the framework of do what you like, talk about what we think people need to be doing, <laughs> which is voting. 
<laughs> but we also, you know, always try to make the point here that, you know, we don't believe in gaslighting, right? So we know things are bad. And we know that democracy has been in peril for a long time. But the crisis in our democracy is actually relatively sharp right now. Mm -hmm. And all of those things kind of come to a head at this moment where all of the things that we care deeply about that allow us to live full and dignified lives are literally and directly under attack. That's just facts, yep. right? Yeah, <laughs> Facts. So, you know, and in the midst of a, a global pandemic, I think it's even more critical for people to understand that the future of where this country heads is literally in our hands. Like, yeah. Literally in our hands. So we're not advocating for nobody to stay home, child. All we're trying to say is um, we also understand that we got a lot of work to do um, and that we can hold both things at once. You know, Alexis, girl, your girl, well, she may not be your girl, but um, the former president was on Twitter just recently saying that perhaps it would be better to change the message of defunding the police so that, you know, people could become more comfortable with it. You know, people used to say the same kind of shit to us uh, back in 2013. Certainly people are all in my inbox now as if it's some new idea, right? Well, maybe if you said Black Lives Matter too, people could really get down with it. I'm like, are you fucking serious? What kind of shit is this? <laughs> but again, like I think it, to me it's a... um. You're right. It is a theory of change. And the reason that I love you in your role, Alexis, is that you have shown time and time again that you are not going to back down from a fight, particularly a fight that is righteous, a fight that is on time, and a fight that is deeply about investing in Black lives, deeply investing in the lives of people who have been left out and left behind and don't have the fucking luxury of saying it nicely to get the things that we need to be able to live. I'm wondering if you can just give us some tips on how to be that kind of fearless and courageous warrior that doesn't play the game of semantics with people's lives. What, what can we do to really be bold and courageous in this moment and say what we mean and mean what we say? I mean, <laughs> I think... I said it. I'm sorry. I'm not it. sorry, but don't I, be I sorry. had to no, say no, it. No, no, no. Because you know what? Actually, that's that's the whole point is to not be sorry, right? Is that that's actually the definition okay. of being unapologetic. And for us, when we engage with the hashtag defund the police, it had to do with the fact that we understood that we are part of the public health care infrastructure. We understand how municipal dollars are spent. And, you know, I've spent a decade working with police departments and DAs and prosecutors and healthcare providers. And like none of them wants to switch jobs with the other, right? Healthcare providers need to show up when there is a healthcare crisis, whether it's a mental healthcare crisis, addiction, what have you. And police want to show up when they are solving a crime. And we keep trying to confuse those things with our resource dollars. And so it wasn't really confusing as an organization who sat in the middle of literally sitting in the middle of a healthcare crisis right now to say, we totally get this. And by the way, our patients should not be leaving our health centers and be worried about getting pulled over by the police or ICE or what have you. Uh -huh. We also had to navigate, obviously, you know, some challenging conversations inside because we do have a strong relationship with police departments because there are so many crazy opposition folks 
with us that we have to make sure that, you know, people who are showing up to access healthcare and, and to deliver healthcare inside of our health centers are protected. And so, you know, it, it's a fine line, but I think when you actually are able to kind of be that bridge inside of essentially what Black Lives Matter is talking about, what Defund the Police is talking about, is the fact that all budgets are moral documents. And that municipal budget in particular is so important around kind of how deep our healthcare can be, how local we can make our healthcare, how deeply political and local our politics are. Mm-hmm. It just, it becomes so clear. And so I just think standing in the authentic voice and understanding who is at the center of the conversation when you're having it, this is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Ashe. Well, I appreciate you letting me go off on that, Alexis, because, you know, it took all the discipline in me, child. It took all the discipline in me. All of it. I was like, no, 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 no. We're not playing games today. Just like Miss Rona. We're not going to play with Black Lives Matter. We said what we said. Defund the damn police. Okay. Invest in our communities and Black Lives Matter. Period. 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 And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do This Week. Number one, make irregardless an actual word. (laughs) Look, I know the dictionary people said that they would allow it, but I'm going to go ahead and stand by the truth, which is that regardless is the appropriate way to say any damn way. And irregardless is kind of like the negation of the negation. So shout out to Merriam-Webster for trying to revise some things, but I'm going to stick with regardless. (laughs) Number two, this week, I swear, I'm just really tired of the five Gs, like really tired. I just needed to say that. I mean, this week I've gotten all the things, mostly from black cisgender men and white cisgender men. Things that range from death threats to fake-ass outrage about something or other. One of these weirds is now spreading a rumor about Beyonce. Yes, this white man who was also running for Congress came for the queen, saying this nonsense on Twitter about how she's actually Italian and she's faking being Black for exposure. He then went on to join the Black Weirds, talking about how Beyonce was a part of the Soros deep state agenda for the Black Lives Matter movement. You guys, I'm just over it. I mean, first of all, don't nobody care what some weirdo white man has to say about Queen Bee. That's facts. Nobody cares. But second, where do y'all get this nonsense? In all serious, my loves, you got some real weirdos out here who are literally sending me death threats off these weird-ass conspiracy theories. Seriously, you weirds need to get a whole-ass life. Your conspiracy theories make me want to have love for you anyway, because clearly there's something deeply hurt in you. I hope we fix it, and I hope we can help you get some help. Yet another reason why we need to defund the police and invest in the safety net Because some of our people are legit just not doing well. Number three, 
Your president is flexing his racist-ass muscles, and at this point, it's almost like he's a caricature of himself. Making this weird-ass speech in front of Mount Rushmore, a man who's supposed to be anti-big government signing an executive order about the monuments and their so-called importance to the country, what the fuck are we doing? I want y'all to remember that this is what your president spends his time on, rather than actually governing. Over 100,000 people have died from the Rona, which he still calls a liberal hoax. Instead of paying any attention to the recession that his terrible policies have helped catapult us into, this man is lathering on self-tanner and talking about Marxists and anarchists. And for added bonus, he has no actual idea who is who because he's reading from a teleprompter. Shout out to the folks who continue to resist this nonsense. This week, we are grateful for the indigenous nations that let him know exactly what time it is. I mean, imagine being on record during this incredibly fraught time as being on the side of slaveholders and colonizers. I mean, what is we doing right now? That's all the things the lady just ain't going to do this week. But let's go ahead and transition into things that lady likes. And I'm proud to say there's a lot of them. <laughs> Number one. Lady is loving the new season of The Shy. So look, I don't know if I just missed this launch. I mean, we have been busy, but I realized late that the show was back on and child, yes, yes, yes. I literally stayed up to watch all the episodes I'd missed and I was up until 1 a.m. on a Wednesday because why not? We're in quarantine. This season is super queer and is taking on all the right issues. It was also really helpful to watch in the midst of all this fake-ass outrage about the violence happening in Chicago, air quotes. That's right. Once a day, I hear from someone who is fake upset about Black lives talking about what is Black Lives Matter doing about the violence in Chicago, when what you really mean to say is, why did white people defund Chicago in such a way that families cannot access what they need to live well, despite their best efforts to do so? Don't act like you care about community violence when you don't actually care about the community. But anywho, this is things that lady likes. So let me go back on to that. I know there's more to say about all those things. And, you know, even Chicagoans be like, don't use this show as a marker of what's actually happening in Chicago. But nonetheless, I think you should watch it. You will not be sorry. <laughs> Number two. This week, the Movement for Black Lives announced their intention to move federal policy through the BREATHE Act. The BREATHE Act is important because it can push Congress to make the most of this rebellion moment. It's focused on key places to divert resources from policing and from militarism, and it focuses on other key areas to invest in. Housing, education, social services, jobs, you know, all the things we actually need. The Black to the Future Action Fund is proud to be a supporter of this intention and excited to work to make this legislation real. And hopefully, super soon, we will have the crew on the show to talk through why you need to support this work too and also how you can get involved. Next thing Lady Loves this week is giving a special shout out to my sister Joy Ann Reed, who just locked down a primetime evening news show on MSNBC. You go, girl. Also, a major shout out to my sister, Tiffany Cross, whose book, Say It Louder, Black Voters, White Narratives, and Saving Our Democracy came out this week. I highly, highly recommend copying this book. 
I mean, I even bought books for the whole squad. Speaking of books, my very own baby is officially on pre-order this week. That's right. Your girl is a whole ass author. Yes, honey. Yes, yes, yes. The book, my book. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying that. My book. I'm not crying. You are. My book is called The Purpose of Power, How We Come Together When We Fall Apart. And you can get it anywhere you get your books. For those of y'all who are trying to avoid the whole Amazon hype, you can pre-order a copy or five from Marcus Books here in the town, or you can hit up bookshop.org where you can buy from independent retailers. Or if you want to go the corporate route, because that's how we make that bestseller list, unfortunately, go ahead and copy your copy from Barnes and Nobles. So deeply grateful for the time you made for us today, Alexis. Thank you so much. And tell the good people who are listening right now where they can connect with you on the socials. On the socials, um, uh, at Alexis McGill Johnson. Uh, girl, I don't know my socials. Socials, <laughs> 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 I don't know. She's like, just look me up, okay? Just look me up. <laughs> And if people want to follow what Planned Parenthood Federation of America and Planned Parenthood Action Fund is up to, um, how can they do that? Yes, they can actually text 2020 to 22422 um, because that's actually going to put them right in the mix of all of the resources for organizing, particularly around this issue. We are um, we're going to run our biggest electoral program in history. Yes. So we've made a historic investment, $45 million dollars. To help elect, you come through. That's yeah. right, girl. Reproductive freedom champions up and down the ballot. So that will get you those resources. And like I said, at at Planned Parenthood, at PPACT, will help you identify both access to healthcare resources if you need them. STI rates are going up during the pandemic, and it will also get you access. You know, if you uh, follow at PPACT, you will also find access to all of our great organizing work because mm. you need both access to healthcare and we need to defend the healthcare you get. I love that. Thank you so much for joining us, Alexis. We appreciate you. It's been great having you on. Thank you so much. You know, I love you. Oh, I love you more. Yes. And that's it for Lady Don't Take No. But I'll be back here every single Friday morning to accompany you where you used to have a commute. We appreciate you joining us. And let's please keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like. And tell us what you just don't want to take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. We're also on Facebook at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about the things you hear on this show all over our socials. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is Bilaterix. And this pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember... Miss Rona ain't playing no games with you, child. So put some respect on her name and stay the hell home if you can. But if you can't, throw that mask on over your nose and mouth and stay six feet apart. Say an extra prayer for the Black women leaders in your life because we are going through it. Your oppressor will not stop oppressing you 
just because you say it nicely. So say that shit with your chest and say it like you mean it and fight like hell for it because we can win and get to the other side. Also, back the fuck up off Beyonce. We do not play when it comes to the queen. That's right, I said it. Because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no shit. Insist don't respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Saying don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She's got a natural way. Her hips weigh furiously. Never luxurious. Carries herself like Love y'all.